hello and welcome to another episode of The Extras. This will actually be our last episode of The Extras for the year before we take a bit of a break uh, over the Christmas and summer period and come back in February with our new series in 2024. But this is a big episode that we've got today. I'm joined by Raj and Sam. Hi everyone. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. And this episode, we're tackling a whole range of questions that came in during November, during our vision month, as we had a look through the early chapters of the book of Acts and saw the mission of the Lord Jesus continue in the world. Uh, no longer in his earthly representation, he's dead, he's risen from the grave, he's seated on high. But now the Lord Jesus is working through his disciples by his spirit, seeing the church grow. And there's all sorts of things that we can draw inspiration from as we read this early history of Jesus' work in the world. Because Jesus is on the same mission today. The mission hasn't changed. Mm. He's still seeking to see the church grow throughout the globe, more and more people becoming disciples of him. Uh, so much to be encouraged and inspired by in the book of Acts. It was a huge month yeah, for us. Was. How are you guys feeling? Look, it certainly was a huge month. And, you know, even now as we lead up to Christmas, what opportunities we have to invite people to share Jesus with people um, just on the weekend. So excited to hear about people putting into practice things that Sam Chan talked about, mm. you know, in all kinds of ways. So huge month um, um, in, in so many ways. Also just worth acknowledging um, the grief that is also the case mm. and, and was the case, particularly mm. in November, mm. uh, particularly around the closure of North Rocks in the last service, which I was at, it was you know, a wonderful but sobering time as well. Um, and so just to acknowledge there is still grief around, yeah. So a whole mixture of things. Mm. Yeah. Look, a bunch of questions have come in from that month. Uh, we'll try to work through a few of them quickly and then there's some broader questions that I think we'll slow down on and have a good discussion around. Um, but to get us cracking, Acts 4 and 5, what a little narrative in the life of the early church, Ananias and Sapphira, mm. uh, selling a property then dropping dead because of their dishonesty about what had gone on. Um, Sam, someone has asked, I can't help thinking that the early Christians were communists. Help me say that I'm wrong. Yeah, change my mind. Um, yeah, great question. We, you could get that impression, I suspect, in that there seems to be this sense in which people with property are selling it and giving it to those in need. There seems to be something analogous to, to what communism is, whereas people don't sort of see their things as their own and they there's a sort of all in with everything and everyone shares everything. The difference, I think, between communism and what's going on in the Book of Acts is um, the difference between it being mandated and it coming from a place where people just wanted to do that. Mm. Um, in communism, there's a central mandate, uh, a government control, such that you can't own stuff. Mm. But it's interesting, even in the moment where... Ananias is being rebuked by Peter. Peter actually says to him, mate, what were you thinking? It was yours before we you sold it. And when you sold it, the money was yours to do with as you wanted. Um, and the issue is not that he didn't give the money. The issue is that he lied about mm. it and wanted to kind of get spiritual kudos mm. from everybody mm. else in selling the property rather than in the fact that he wasn't allowed to keep his property. And mm. so I think Peter's quite clear there that um, Ananias could have very well kept the property and just done his thing and trusted Jesus and been part of the flocked, flock. Um, so there's no mandate for communism. And mm. I think that's the difference. What there is that's really positive in that, not in Ananias, but in, um, I think it's Barnabas who sells the other field. Is that, mm. is, is that right? Yeah. Um, that there's just this desire to love and care for people and it's a holding on to the things of this world lightly and uh, wanting to have an open hand and share what God's blessed 
one with with others um, and that's I think a really positive thing um, but it's not centrally mandated yeah there's a real unity in the church at that point a sense that they are together family like yeah. we are today and correct there's still much to be inspired from in that but it's not it's not a mandatory thing like communism yeah um, so Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead will God punish any of us like that what do you guys think well look I think uh, when I preached this I said just picking up on what Sam said there was a voluntary um, buy into this particular community and then Ananias and Sapphira who had agreed um, they took an action they lied about the action that that's a particular context um, and look I don't want to limit God 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 can you know act in any way that he likes so I think the warning here though is to treat God seriously and to treat our commitments to God seriously mm. and there are consequences mm. and that that I guess might take the form of Ananias and Sapphira you know dropping dead uh, but um, it's not something we tend to observe today, things working like that. Mm. Uh, um, now, I'm nervous even saying that, Lachlan, because I don't want to take the foot off. What are the consequences? How mm. do we treat mm. God with the seriousness that he deserves? Um, so, so yeah, that's what I, what I want to say to that. We've got lots of questions to get to. We could talk more about that. But I think what I want to say here is don't limit God. Mm. Treat God seriously mm. um, and, and think about how that might work out today. Great, thank you. Last little quick one on Ananias and Sapphira. Are they in heaven? What happened to those guys? Is this uh, a sin that Jesus didn't pay for for them? Gee, it's hard to answer that question. Um, the text doesn't tell us. Yeah. The text doesn't make any claim about Ananias and Sapphira's um, personal faith, their trust in Jesus. Were, were they, were they um, believers with mixed motives like many of us? Uh, or were they imposters? looking to get kudos with no faith um mm. it's not clear um and so it's, it's hard to make a definitive statement i think mm. um I, I do think that the reason god punishes them however is less well it's not it's not not about ananias and sapphira but it's more about the the community seeing the holiness of god mm. those who who see these events they're, they're gripped by fear and then they worship god in holiness um, and God is, I think, protecting his community mm. from sins seeping in mm. and showing them the, the importance of godly and holy and righteous living. Um, so that seems to be more of Luke's focus. He seems to be more interested in the impact that it has on those who are not killed uh, rather than trying to make a, a, a sort of statement as to sort of the salvation status. Mm. I think it is possible that they could be saved, um, mm. but we're just not, we're not told. Yeah, we'll find out yeah. when Christ returns. Yeah. Uh, Sam, I think we stick with you for this next question because we move now into Act 6. Yep. Uh, and not just because you preached on this bit, but um, also because you oversee our kind of ministry and within church. And this question touches on mm. some of the stuff that happens in that space. So someone's asked a long question on verse 6 or a long collection of questions. I'll read them all out and you can kick us off in our discussion here. Yeah, great. So in verse 3 of Act 6, those who serve, uh, particularly waiting on tables there, distributing meals, mm -hmm. they're chosen by the church. Mm -hmm. Should this be a model as to how we cho choose people to serve our church? Yep. That is selected among the church, by the church, full of the spirit and also wisdom. Uh, Sam, this whoever's asked this question recalls that you say these people stepped up and likewise people in our church step up but is, is that what's being said in act six then go to verse two the twelve summoned all the disciples to bring up a matter this was with all the believers should we be doing this at our yeah. church as well sometimes this person's asked it feels as if change at our church is conducted with just some key people rather than the full body of the church 
There you go. There's two issues there. Um, so there seems to be an issue around how do we select people for service, um, and what should how should we select people for service, um, and then there's a, a second issue which is um, how do we think about change and how many people should be involved in that? Mm. Should it be a, a small group or a larger group? So maybe we'll tackle those in turn. Sure. Um, on the first matter of how do we how do people uh, get selected? Um, it's worth saying that acts as a as a book generally is descriptive it tells us what happened uh, rather than being prescriptive it's not a sort of uh, a rule book as to how to run the church we can draw out lessons we can see what they did and how they thought about it but we we're not being given a kind of a, a church handbook here if that makes sense mm. um, that being said there's something really wonderful about this principle of that the believers together look around their numbers and say hey who, who do we see that is full of the spirit and godly and mm. uh, let's Let's invite them into a leadership position. And there's something of that um, in the way that we oversee the ministry department, which is um, part of that is uh, the, the work of uh, inviting people to take up serving roles and, and finding a, a place for people to serve. We're actually quite concerned with their godliness and with their um, discipleship, even over and above getting jobs filled. So, for example, as our, as our serve chat team um, deal with anybody, one of the first things they actually do as somebody's name comes across our table is we, we actually pray about them. Um, we give their growth group leader a ring and we say, hey, how's this person tracking in the Lord? Are they, are they, are they, you know, are they part of growth group? Are they growing in the word? What, give us, help us to know this person a little bit better. Um, we'll take what the growth group leader says on board and then um, we'll reach out and have a discipleship conversation with that person. How are you tracking in Christ? How are you... Uh, how's God growing you? Um, and we'd love to talk to you about serving. Um, and, and then we take it from there. And so there is actually a sense in which we are trying to engage God's church in um, de- determining, because the reality is I can't know the spiritual status of every individual in our church. But across the body, we do know that because lots of people are in growth groups. Um, and there are even times where we might say to some about someone, hey, they're not tracking well in the Lord. Um, the best thing we want to do is help that person grow as a disciple mm. rather mm. than put them into a serving role. Mm. Um, and so there are some times where we say, hey, you're not quite in a, in a great place to be serving. Let's disciple you. Let's um, minister to you in the context of growth group and church and all those things. Um, and we'll come back and talk at another time. Mm-hmm. So um, we do do that. It, uh, um, should we have a you know a thousand people meet to assess each individual who steps up onto a, a team? That's one way to do it. Um, but I think we're we're trying to capture the heart here of of uh, prayerfully considering individuals and and appointing them mm-hmm. where where appropriate. Mm-hmm. So there is a broader group of people involved. Yeah, in that process. Absolutely. I think I would just add to that too, guys. There are some. <clears throat> Appointments. So, for example, when someone you know is applying to be ordained, mm. that we certainly do involve everyone. Yeah. You know, but but at the same time, it's a multi-layered kind of thing. There are um, there's panels, there's referees, there's all kinds of things that happen. But then, interestingly, at a point in time, now I have the old language in my head of a sequi. Mm. I think there's a more modern term. But basically, there is you know a statement that's read to the whole congregation, inviting mm. people to make comment mm, to yes. the Archbishop who would like to. Yes. And that is an attempt to, to try to bring some of this in. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's not really realistic, you know, for a thousand or fifteen hundred, whatever the number is to be involved. Uh, but there are different layers. Mm. And also there is, uh, I like your comment, Sam and Lachlan, you talked about this in the Growth Group Leaders Briefing on this too, the nature of acts. Um, um, Sam, you just talked about the labels, prescriptive, descriptive. Lachlan, I want to get your term right. 
um, inspirational history. Inspirational history, yes. Mm. <clears throat> um, so all of those sorts of things work, and I think it's a bit of a danger to draw too much. Mm. You know, because the early church worked like this, therefore we should. Mm. We're in a very different kind of age and stage, yeah. um, and different denominations have sought to derive their polity. Yeah, yeah, that's right. In different ways from these different bits. Yeah. On the second question, which is about um, decision making and a small group versus a large group, um, and again, is Act Six trying to teach us how to how to do the politics of church? Mm. Um, look, maybe there's something here, but then at the same time, how do we balance that with say once you get to Acts chapter fifteen and you have set by that point a formal council in Jerusalem, a, a small group of people mm. who have kind of elected, if you like, or kind of um, ordained leadership over the, the much, at that point, much larger gathering that's now multi-city and multi-area um, Church of Christ at that time, that they do see the need at a certain point to have a formalised leadership structure where um, decision-making is um, done by a few on behalf of um, the many. And so, um, you know, in the Anglican system... Um, that for us looks like a, a parish council, wardens, um, and, and other kind of uh, roles of that description led by the rector. Um, and we have an annual general meeting, which everyone who's uh, a member of St Paul's is welcome to come to and vote in order to elect the right people for those things. Uh, happens in February, would encourage you to be there. And that's one of the ways mm. that we as a body actually elect people to make decisions on our behalf um, because there is... Um, there's a mixture here of, of everybody has a has a view and an input, but there's an efficiency to actually mm. the water the mm. water bill just needs to be paid, and somebody needs to take mm. responsibility and say I'm going to do that. Um, and so, I don't know. Then the question is, well, what decisions fit at what level? And um, the Anglican system has a way of thinking about that um, in terms of dividing um, property and uh, money type responsibilities to the parish council and wardens and sort of spiritual matters to the rector and his assistants who are ministers um so different different churches organize that differently um but yeah i don't know does that does that help on that question i think it does i think there's an encouragement there to come to the agm next time it's on what a great thing be great there things to be at and yep. you know at a broader uh, diocesan level you know people can turn up to synod at the public gallery and see how overarching kind of collection of Anglican churches. People can and people do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. if you want to find out more about how decisions are made and mm. change across the board, there are some places to get to. Yeah. Um, let's move into some of the stuff around kind of the vision for St. Paul's going forward into the future because we had Vision Month inspired by Acts. We put forward a, a draft vision statement of what we are praying towards, what we'd love to see happen here. Someone's asked, is St. Paul's aiming to be a church with thousands of people in Carlingford. Yeah. Thank you, um, whoever's put this question in. I think a starting point, I just want to say, you know, already it is the case Carlingford is a church with something like 1,500 active members. Mm. You know, it's 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 not a church of 50 people. It is a church mm. of that kind of scale. I'm just, that's a broad number. Don't quote me on it, but it's something like that. Um, and in our vision statement, we just talked about <clears throat> wanting to be a church that impacts thousands. Now... Um, worth saying St Paul's has always well for decades has been that kind of church that's wanted to have a broader impact um, in Northwest Sydney in Sydney in Australia around the world and it's just a great delight to be part of a church that has just had that vision expressed in different ways over a period of time and so yeah we want that to keep going now <clears throat> does that mean that our particular church St Paul's will have thousands and thousands of peoples 
Well, maybe, but not necessarily. Mm. You know, there's there's a gospel impact here mm. that, that keeps happening. I think the last year or two, we saw 100 MTS trainees coming through. I think Sam, you'll probably know the number. We have some more joining next year. So, so this is one of the ways in which we're impacting people, um, uh, but it's not the only way. And so, yeah, we, we do want a vision. Um, um, in fact, Sam, we were talking earlier, you just talked about, you know, let, let's have our eyes on... <clears throat> On the fields. Well, I think that's quite important because it, it can sound a little bit self-aggrandizing to say we want to be a church of thousands. Um, I don't think that's the way we're coming at it. We're more looking at what is this area that we work in and really or that we live in. Um, Sydney is a metropolis and it's millions of people. Mm. That our little neck of the woods, if you kind of wrap in all the suburbs kind of just in our sort of orbit around Carlingford, um, we're talking a quarter of a million people there and growing. Mm. Um, and that means that, that there are 250,000 people who need to hear the gospel. And, and if we really believe heaven and hell are real, Jesus really is coming back, the only way to be right with God is by trusting in Jesus, then we are looking out at, at an enormous number of people mm. who don't know their spiritual mm. left hand from their right yeah. and need to hear about Jesus. Now, one way or another, God has charged us to, to reach them. Um, do we do that by one big St. Paul's, you know, maybe? Um, we, we really need 20, 50 big St. Paul's. Um, now, we, all we have responsibility for is, is our neck of the woods, is our church. Mm. Um, and in Carlingford, North Rocks alone, it's, it's getting close to, to 40,000 people in, just in, that, in those suburbs. Um, there, there aren't many other um, ministries in this area that are, that are actually... Um, making making an impact trying to trying to reach those people and so really it is our responsibility to do what we can and have the ministry structures that enable us to reach 40,000 people um i actually don't know the answer to what that looks like but we mm. we we must keep our eyes on that and and and, mm. and feel the the pain of those drowning people mm. um and be willing to change whatever we do in order to sa- uh, save some i think yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. amen I am one of the guys that I valued reading about and got influenced by an early Salvation Army officer named John Dean. Mm. Uh, his kind of line that he kept coming back to was, my desire is to make everyone I meet feel that Christ is worth everything they have. Mm. And there's a lot of people to meet in yep. Carlingford. I just yep. saw um, on Facebook the updated proposal from Meriton, which is across the road from where I live yes. at the moment. So that at first they were going to have 550 units going in, now they want 750. Yep. There's an average of two people or something in that, like 1,500 people. Yeah, that's right. Going to move in that aren't here yeah. currently. I want all of them to know Jesus. Yeah. And, How and does I that think, happen? Yeah, and I think it is that the, the model of ministry that we've received, which is wonderful over many hundreds of years, has been the village. Um, there's a small village with a parish church, and the parish church can reach a village. Mm. Um, but all of us, we no longer have a village. We have a metropolis, mm. and we have to think about, well, how do we reach a metropolis? And how do we have ministries of scale not just our ministries but ministries of scale that actually go some way towards making a dent in in the number of people that need to mm. hear about jesus mm. and if i could just even build on that further i mean god in his sovereignty has placed us in this area at this time mm. next year the carlingford light rail is opening up you talked about the meriton kind of you know i know the carlingford light rail and the density and that's an issue for some um but but all around our church, like it's, it's. I think it's one point one kilometres from the St Paul's site is the Carlingford Light Rail terminus, mm. 
Um, it is a huge opportunity mm. uh, for us to um, uh, take the message of Jesus. And the other thing worth saying here is we we live in such a multicultural area. Mm. Um, you know, Acts twenty. Sorry, I'm thinking Matthew twenty eight talks about taking the gospel out. Um, Acts chapter one talks about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And here we exist in a place in the world where so many people from so many nations mm. are coming to us. Mm. What an opportunity. Mm. For sure. Privilege and responsibility. Mm. Yeah. We've, we've had a few questions that kind of build on talk of numbers like this. Um, so let me put this one to you. This is the wording that's come in. Uh, isn't it true that in Acts the apostles never actually had numbers and growth as their goal? Luke is simply reporting on the numbers because it was so amazing and miraculous. He's not using numbers for goal setting. Doesn't the Bible just encourage us to love God and love others and then the Lord added to their numbers daily? Mm. Can I have a go at that one? Yeah. Um, I would agree it is absolutely amazing and miraculous. Um, all, all gospel growth, all work where people come to bow the knee to Jesus is a miracle that God does by the power of his spirit. Um, amen. Yes. Mm. Um the question is, do is is are the disciples using numbers and growth for goal setting? Um, it's interesting that we're not given a moment where the apostles pause and set a goal together, uh, or, or they there's no verse that says and they calculated the number of residents in this area and worked out what to do. Um, I think partly because their goal is actually given to them by Jesus um, in the Great Commission. Mm. They they receive a goal. Um, and then they go about see- seeking to, to follow through in it, and then we get the report of their um, effectiveness under under God's sovereignty. Um, what is the goal that is given to them? Well, Raj, you mentioned Matthew 28 just before. I think that's worth re- reading and just thinking carefully about. Um, Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, it's interesting it doesn't say go and preach the gospel to all nations. It says go and make disciples. So how do you actually achieve the commission? It is by, pre- he then goes on to say, by baptizing, teaching, you know, etc. Um, until the end of the age. But the, the outcome is actually to make a disciple, like to see somebody brought into right relationship with God. It's, it's not enough just to stop at, well, I preached mm. or I did some, mm. I loved some people and now it's over to God. Actually, the, the outcome that we're shooting for is disciple made. Um, and I think that's, I think a lot of people kind of think of it the other way around. The outcome is just preach the gospel and leave it to God. Mm. Um, now, 1 Corinthians 3, we water and plant and God gives the growth. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Um, but I think God God does those things through means, and the means is the the teaching and preaching of the gospel, which is why when we come to Acts 6, the apostles are so determined to keep their focus on gospel teaching and preaching and prayer because they see if that work stops, disciples are not going to be made. Um, and that's the outcome that Jesus has told them to shoot for, and the mechanism is through teaching and preaching. Mm. Uh, so they need to keep their focus on that because their goal has been given. And their goal is of all nations, everywhere. It's, it's exhaustive. The, the goal is as many people as there are on the face of the earth. That's their goal mm. given to them by mm. Jesus. And, and what we then get through Acts is the report, both geographically and numerically, of, of the gospel being effective just as Jesus commanded them to be. So, yes, I don't think the apostles set the goal because Jesus sets the goal and it's everyone everywhere. Mm. Um, 
And it's interesting, Paul, I think in Colossians chapter 1, I find that a really helpful little bit. He kind of summarizes it, the Great Commission, in different language. Um, he says in Colossians 1, 28, he says, To this end, that's the, the, the word for goal, to this end, to this goal I labor, um, with all his strength that works within me, um, what does he say his goal is? Uh, to present everyone, there's a numerical goal, fully mature, there's a qualitative goal, in Christ. So to this end, I labor. Here's my goal. Everyone, every single individual in the world, fully mature in Christ. To this end goal, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ powerfully works in mm. me. And again, I think that's a received goal rather than a goal that the um, apostles have come up with. Mm. Does that help? Yeah, I think it does. Could, could I just add a few yeah. things into that and look in many ways? Well, I thoroughly agree with what Sam said. It's excellent. If I could just add some other theological kind of pieces. Um, Proverbs chapter 1, you know, talks about wisdom being the first of God's works. It's embedded in the world. You read Proverbs and really it's about the application of the wisdom that God mm. has embedded in the world. Um, and you think about, really, Sam, you've been talking about, you, talk, you, you think about outcome and the kind of input you want to put into that for the outcome. And there's just, that, that's the basic encouragement in all kinds of ways. Paul did the same thing, 1 Corinthians 9. He became all things to all men, so that by all possible means, mm. some may be saved. Mm. Um, now, you, you, there's the principle, and you back end what, what was involved in that. It's the application of wisdom. Mm. And um, so just coming back into this question a bit, I think, you know, I don't know. I mean, some churches out there, they, they talk about, you know, being a church of 300 or 500 or whatever it is. We haven't done that. Um, we we have said though that we want to be a church that is having a significant gospel impacts in whatever you know shape that that takes. Be that St Paul's now we're not a church that's proposing to you know plant branches of St Paul's all around the Western world or the, whatever it is, um, but in different ways we we do want to have a gospel impact, uh, and um, that involved in that is this keep we keep thinking about outcomes at all different levels and we need to focus limited resources are just a reality we all have to work with um, as everyone has to work with and and so sure behind the scenes we do think about how to best apply our limited god-given resources mm. um, so we might you know if you lock them or you sam and we we you know we break things down in this kind of way for the purpose of working out where to best focus our efforts mm. um, but it is important to say those, let me call them more micro goals, because um, I don't really think we talk about a macro one. We want to maximise mm. our gospel impact. Um, but, you know, unlike in a secular environment, in a secular environment, a salesman might have, you know, a goal of however many dollars worth of sales, and if they don't meet it, they're held accountable and sometimes mm. they're moved on. Mm. We don't operate like mm. that. God's sovereign. Mm. Um, and, and so our efforts must operate under God's sovereignty. Uh, and yet I, I and many, and common wisdom out there is you break down the goal, you think about what's involved, it helps you focus the mind, focus the resources. Mm. So, yeah, anyway, there's just a few things I wanted to add yeah, on to Sam's excellent comments. It's good. It, it does, it makes me think of the Apostle Paul again and, and think he, he was not content uh, with the numbers that were there, he, 
Mm. He wanted to go where Christ had not been preached yet. Mm. He's going around if people aren't responding. He's sad about that. Mm. His mind is kept awake. He's going through sleepless nights. So whenever we're talking like this, yeah, it's, it's not resting content with where things are at. We, we won't rest content till every person bows the knee before Jesus. Mm. And Jesus sending out disciples, you know, going door to door. He, he, yeah. There was there's, there was a gospel urgency. I love mm. what you said before, Sam. We we look about. I got this from a guy called Frank Retief, and he just said every person he met, he thinks he would think is this person someone who knows Jesus, mm. and so they need to be encouraged. Mm. Um, that that is the disciple, the maturing disciple piece, or are they someone who doesn't know Jesus? In which case, the reality is the hard reality is that this person is subject to God's judgment, and yeah. they need to know Christ. Yeah, that's what I said. Look, this leads nicely into the next question. If we are not seeing numbers, maybe take that we to just be generally a Christian ministry, Christian church. If, if we're not seeing numbers, if, if we're not seeing growth, does that mean our tactics and the way that we organise need to change? That's a good question. I think it's hard to answer. Um, I think the answer is maybe. I think... To, it's good to pay attention to the numbers because it, it could be one of two things. It could be that you're doing everything just, you're doing what what you can, but God is not giving the growth. Or it might actually be that there's something in the way that you're doing it um, that is actually the problem. Mm. Um, so, for example, if you're, you know, in uh, a non-English speaking country and you're, you set up shop and you are running an English ministry, um, then... It might be that the way you do things needs to change because mm. you've actually got the wrong tactic. You need to learn the language and mm. preach the gospel in the language that helps. So um, now language isn't obvious, but it could be culture. It could be location. It could be time. You might put on, if we decide we want to grow by putting on a 3 a.m. Saturday morning service um, and we're going we're gonna to hope prayerfully to grow that to... Mm. I hadn't heard that idea before. <laughs> 400 people. I suspect... We'll give that a shot and we'll call some people to sacrificially get up at 2.30 a.m. to be there to, for receiving people at 3 a.m. And I suspect that's a poor tactic. Mm. Um, good heart, good desire, want to reach hundreds mm. of people, uh, wrong tactic. Mm. And so we've got to keep bringing our, prayerfully bringing our tactics under um, consideration to think about is there a better way to be doing this. Um, mm. But it might be that as we look at it, we, also, we say, well, when all is said and done, this is... This is what we've done, and God has not given the growth, and that happens sometimes. But we never want to assume that it, it must just be that God hasn't given the growth. We, we actually want to examine our own approach and go, could we could we do this better? Mm. Yeah, and it's worth saying. I think that at that level of tactics, you know, there's an underlying tactic that will never change, which is pray and preach the gospel. Absolutely. Um, so we're not saying that that will ever change. A prayer is the yep. heartbeat of all that we do. Yep. God needs to move and work and. As Paul says in Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. There's no other power. Yep. So we, we will never be ashamed of the gospel. So that, that's the underlying tactic that stays the same. Yep. But there might be some other different yep. order tactics, that's different right. order strategies yeah. as to where you're deploying that energy and effort that yeah. you consider. Yep. I think it's just worth asking all across St. Paul's to pray mm. You know, in this regard. I think... You know, I'm the rector of this church or senior pastor, whatever your preferred title is, and some people have other titles apparently. Um, but this is very difficult to to work out how to, you know, keep adjusting our tactics. We live in a world that is changing faster than ever before. Mm. And if I just pick a famous secular example, Kodak. You know, Kodak for decades was the world's leader in 
photography. Um, but what it didn't do was adjust to the changes that were happening in our world. Mm. Uh, and, and it is the case that around the world, many churches are in this situation. Mm. Um, now, St Paul's is a church that for decades, way before my time, way before any of our time, um, for decades it has been a church that has tried to look at the fields and, and adjust tactics in the context of limited resources mm. and, and keep reaching people. Mm. But we need your prayers. It's very hard work. Mm. Next question touches on something you just mentioned there, Raj. If God desires growth in the church, if he blesses growth, uh, why are there churches closing their doors? Yeah, this is a, a huge question. Um, there's lots of stuff written about this. There's lots of stuff researched about this. I talked before about human wisdom and... You know, here is an area of research that constantly is developing. I think it's the case. You look in America; there's something between six and ten thousand churches a year that are closing their doors. Mm. Um, COVID has, you know, had its impact, and there's all kinds of reasons. And I, I take it, you know, one of in our particular context right at the moment. I'm sure part of this question is about North Rocks and other congregations that have closed over the years as well, um, and and. I just want to encourage people, you know, in relation to that particular issue, we have produced a Frequently Asked Questions document um, a number of weeks ago. Um, we put links wherever we could. If you haven't got it, please reach out. We'd love to send that to you. And we really did try as best we could to, you know, explain those particular circumstances as we prayerfully saw it. It wasn't an overnight thing. It was, I can assure you, it was a... Mm. I think I've said one of the most uh, difficult, probably the most difficult ministry decision I've ever had to be involved with. Mm. Um, so we did try there. And I also just think worth saying in this context to people listening, um, um, I mean, all three of us I know have been involved in different conversations and I just want to encourage people, please reach out. We'd love to keep talking. Everyone has different questions. They're great questions. We're very happy to talk about it. Um, and, and certainly the conversations I've been involved with, people have found it helpful to be able to ask their particular questions, mm. you know, filling out what we've said in the FAQs and other things. Um, but, you know, the other thing just worth saying, you know, in fact, Sam, you were talking about this earlier, we look back over thousands of years and we just see the reality. Even we have, you know, letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to a whole bunch of churches um, centuries ago, and these churches no longer exist. Um, yep. Yeah, like, and I think maybe maybe a word here for us all is is to hold loosely to the to the ministry structures that we set up, and we we want to see them um, be effective. Obviously, as you build a ministry structure, you love the people you do it with, and you love that thing. Uh, we need to keep an open hand, I think, with things to see if there's a better way or a different way that we should be doing that thing. To not be um, not be afraid at one level to to shift course to check they were talking about changing tactics before um you know like 20 20 years ago we did not have a mandarin speaking um church we but we saw a need for one and we we did that because currently there are a lot of chinese speaking mm-hmm. uh, people in our midst what will carlingford be like in 300 years time if jesus doesn't return mm-hmm. it may be the fact that there are no mandarin speaking people at that point and actually, there are a whole bunch of subcontinentals or mm. a whole bunch of, mm. uh, you know, Russians. I, I don't know. Um, and all of a sudden, we need to run a Russian ministry because that's who the mm. Lord brings. And we, 
we need to hold an open hand to structures that we set um, uh, prayerfully use them as best we can for, for a season and then not be afraid to reimagine and reassess and I think we want to hold that across all of our structures uh, that if there are things that we need to change and move for, for different reasons that we have the um, yeah the, the, the openness to doing that I think my, my mind and heart does go back into Act 6 here as we just saw um, a description of the early church seeing gospel opportunity seeing gospel need and being forced to or choosing to reassess how it does things and so just to keep going on this I just you know one of the things we need to help one another with is grief mm. in this process and I think in the places I preached this particular sermon I just talked about you know imagine a widow that was receiving um, a daily distribution of food from the Apostle Peter and now there's this meeting and there's this reorganisation there's this restructure um, so that the gospel can keep going forward I imagine the widow who was receiving food from the Apostle Peter there, there would have been a bit of grief mm. you know now Sam's going to come around and do it mm. <laughs> or or or, or whoever, mm. and um, but they were united in this vision, mm. and yeah. So so again, I just want to ask for people's prayers in this area. It is very difficult to yeah. to um, to think to see the impact on people. Um, I think church leaders have always gone through that. More recently, we've been going through that once again. It's important, mm. not the first time, mm. um, and no doubt in the future is. The Russians come as Sam. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just that we've got to be willing to, to roll with whoever the Lord brings to our midst to, mm. to be, and we think realize okay that thing's had its had its day. We, we're mm. no longer reaching those those people. We're going to shift and do this, mm. and that, that mm. that's okay. This is really helpful, guys. The next couple of questions I think build that's an overlap here. So we'll keep pressing on, and, and this we'll keep building the pieces on some of the questions we've already tackled. Uh, so someone said, "Thank you for your sermon and focus on the numbers." It seems that quite quickly the growth of the number of followers in Acts exceeds the capacity of a single meeting place, spreading to multiple synagogues, multiple cities. Should our focus at St Paul's be on growing a larger church here or the spread of the gospel within multiple smaller gatherings or churches? Yes. <laughs> what do you mean, that? <laughs> well... Um, the, the, good on for look at, looking across that. That's right. I mean, part of why they um, so right after Act Six, um, there's a, a great persecution that breaks out, mm. and the, the people spread. Uh, not they leave Jerusalem, they go to other cities, and all of a sudden we, we start to see more of that goal that was set by Jesus of geographics at this point, going to Samaria and to wider bits. You know that, that Jesus says the gospel needs to go to. Um, so now there are multiple gospel communities, and they then start to grow, and there's lots of things going on. Um, and I don't think we need to make it an either or. Do we do we have big churches or lots of churches? Mm. I think we want to say yes. We want mm. we want all of those things. Mm. Um, coming back to what we were saying just about Carlingford and North Rocks, forty thousand odd people in this in the census in in those two suburbs. Um, we need a bit. We need ten ten St Pauls's. Uh, so we have, what would that give us? Ten St Pauls would give us. Uh, 15,000 we're not even halfway there if we had mm. 10 in our suburb um, you start to see the scale of what we need to do here so mm. can are there 10 properties that could do what we do uh, on, on a Sunday every, like run stuff all day you know 7.45 till 8pm 7.45am to 8pm 
Um, are there places where we could do something like we do at St Paul's ten times over uh, in our suburb? Um, I don't think the answer is yes. Mm. Um, or it's or if or in order to get it, we've got to spend literally tens of millions of dollars mm. tens of times. Uh, so we either need to work out a way to maximise this space and to uh, do as much as we can here, and then prayerfully, boldly uh, try and get get other. Do you know what I mean? Like it's mm. it's, it's a it's, huge yeah. task. So we need lots of ministries, uh, big ones, small ones. Um, yeah. So yes, I think we need we need both end. Yeah, and I was going to say both end. Um, Sam, you jumped in on yes earlier on. <laughs> um, I, I, look, I didn't hear your particular. I think Sam, you and I both preached Acts chapter six. Um, I didn't hear your particular sermon on it. Um, I I don't think I would say the focus is on numbers. The focus is on gospel impact. And that's the underlying thing, looking at the circumstances around you, which is what the early church also did, which is why Acts 6 came about. Not just Acts 6, but lots of different places in Acts. The church just continually, it had this gospel vision. And it kept going with the opportunities, with the limitations, with the resources it had. Mm. And um, my own conviction is that's what we need to do. Mm. And, and yeah, so... Growing a large church here or multiple smaller gatherings, I think, you know, both and uh, is the answer. Um, and let's, like, again, we come back to God and pray for what that looks like mm. yeah, at, at different points in time when the Russians come. <laughs> <laughs> there are different churches around the Sydney Anglican Diocese that are trying different things here. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a house church network not far down the road from Chester Hill. They're trying that. I think there's challenges to that approach. There's challenges to larger churches. There's there are different challenges no matter which yeah. way you go here. So we're all trying to do what we can to see more and more people come to know Jesus and continue to grow in Him. Mm. Uh, and one of the things the diocese is doing at the moment, you know, there's new housing areas that are being released, mm. and so in fact, part of you know our giving at St Paul's two percent goes into what you know this land acquisition program. Uh, so that land can be bought in these areas. So it, it's another example of mm. this very principle working mm. out mm. Um, that we are part of, perhaps more passively part of. So at every kind of level, you know, mm. we here, here is something I think is exciting to be part of. Yeah. Uh, next question that came through, I think this is a helpful one just to help us think about applying Acts, and we've touched on some of that already, but is the comparison between the numbers in Acts to numbers in St. Paul's, an unhelpful one to make, the numbers in Acts in terms of growth, it's about converts, not about members of a particular central church. Did they meet in people's homes? Are they gathering in a singular place? Again, we've already touched on this stuff, but is there something to add there? The only thing I'd add is, actually at this point, there is only the church. Mm. Um, There's not a few churches in Acts 6, there's just the church, um, which met with the apostles in the temple forecourts. Um, it also that they also then would gather in people's homes for the breaking of bread and for fellowship and prayer and um, but really there was the church. So there wasn't like the church and then the church up the road. There was just the church. And so as we read Acts, growing the church and growing the one gathering, that was the, it's one and the same at this mm. point. And again, as we mentioned before, we're about to see that scatter in uh, Acts 7 and 8. There will then be lots of churches at that point who would all still call themselves one church, but like one one fellowship, you know, like one they're all of one faith and they've all come from the same place. But at this particular point, they are gathering in a singular place. And so to grow the grow the church is to grow that gathering at, mm. at this particular moment. Um, so 
that's just in Act 6. Uh, in terms of um, comparing that to our situation, yes, our goal, our goal is to see converts, to see more and more people saved. We absolutely want to see that. And our prayerful growth is that that is uh, our prayer prayerful hope is that that's the kind of growth God God would give us. Mm. Yeah. I, I think I just want to expand that to Sam and Lachlan and just say um, converts, you know, absolutely, you know, and we we've been celebrating some of that. We had baptism Sunday recently, which was just an extraordinary time, um, and at the same time, you know, so this now is again using human wisdom to think about our own church and the statistics in our circles are that 80% of people who are Christians today have become Christians under the age of 18. There is a huge, I'm going to call it a discipleship engine at work in children and youth and we are just so privileged here at St Paul's. Um, Again these are ballpark numbers I think 350 to 400 adults and youth under 18 you know who who are active members of St Paul's um, and, you know, when you talk about when does a child become a Christian, that can be a really hard question to answer. Mm. Teenagers, same thing. You know, mm. for, for each of my mm. kids, I, I never want them to know a time they didn't know Jesus. Mm. Um, now, that's not saying, you know, there wasn't a point in time. I think some of my kids would identify a time, others wouldn't necessarily. But that discipleship engine takes 18 years. Mm. Yeah, so th- there's lots of things going on here. Yeah, there is a lot going. I think one of the other things that might be here, I I find that sometimes we have a an idea that big churches are a new invention, mm. and we think negatively of them because mm. of that. It's like you know this is an export from the states and it's been recent and whatnot. I don't think that is the historical reality, and just recognizing that actually down through the ages there have been lots of big churches, as there have been lots of small churches. Mm. So I just want to mention that and go. Let's let's not think that. Churches that grow to a big size are inherently yeah. novel and inherently driven by modern agendas. Mm. Uh, I think Spurgeon's Metropolitan Tabernacle. Yeah, yeah, thousands there. Five, five thousand seating capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So that, I think that might just be worth throwing in there as well. Um, society's changed, real estate's changed, all sorts of things going on that impact mm. what we choose to invest in and try to do yeah. in these spaces. And look, I don't want to harp on about large churches on the generally recognised kind of, you know, scale of large churches. St Paul's is not a large church. Mm. You know, 2,000 is sort of the number that people talk about for, you know, large churches. We're not that. Mm. Um, Now, I get it in the Sydney Anglican environment, we are. Mm. I just think that provides us with more and more opportunities, Mm. which we see in our midst. Mm. All right, a few more to go here. Uh, again, this one I'm just going to frame it as it's come through. So this is the wording that's been received on the, the text line. Uh, is it really honest to say we are undergoing rapid growth? Post-building, pre-COVID, our total numbers were greater than our current numbers. Morning Church has added around 100, but many of these are transfers from other congregations. And overall, our numbers are not rapidly growing. Wasn't the rapid growth in Acts all new converts? Our supposed rapid growth is primarily Christians moving from other churches, except for the 14 new converts announced last week. Our church is in a completely different situation to the church in Acts. What do you think? Uh, our church is in a completely different situation to the church in Acts. Absolutely. Um, we are. That is very fair to say. Um, it's interesting. 
our church is one is one big parish, but it's a lot of smaller ecosystems. Um, uh, this person's mentioned the morning church adding a hundred, um, and many of those being transfers. That's true. Um, many of those are transfers. I, I want to come back and make a comment about. Um, I think sometimes we have an inherent negativity around transfer growth, but there can be great reasons for trans for people to transfer, um, and we shouldn't sort of I think. Uh, be too down on it because there's there's good reasons. We'll come back to that. Um, what what I had in mind is I was I, I wasn't in my sermon preaching about. I don't think I mentioned the hundred people at morning church. I did mention that there are pockets of church that are rapidly growing, and that's going to force us to consider embracing change. I think is one mm-hmm. of the things that I was talking about. What I actually had in mind as I was preaching was the reality of of uh, our Iranian congregation, uh, which many people probably don't know a lot about. Uh, after we came out of COVID, we had on a weekly basis, four to eight people coming to Iranian churches, basically a public Bible study. Um, that's what it looked like at the end of 2021. Um, it really struggled, had a hard time prayerfully and faithfully. The, I've been working with Muhammad and the leadership team there. We're now seeing Iranian church um, regularly hit in the, in the ballpark of 30 to 40 people every week. Um, so it's it numerically kind of tripled almost quadrupled in size in mm. in the space of 18 months and of that uh, we've baptized five people in the last six months um, and, and many of these uh, people who've joined us some have just found a church because they were they were sort of stranded during COVID mm. there are lots of Iranian churches closed and they found our church um, but we've seen a whole bunch of people converted um, baptized a bunch of them in the Windsor River the other week and that was just wonderful um, now we've got six to eight children coming every week. And you know what we don't have is a kids program. Um, And talking with the Iranians, there's a sense in which they feel a little bit like second class citizens because if we had a English speaking congregation with six to eight kids, we'd think about putting on a kids program, Mm. but we haven't been able to pull it off for our Iranians. Um, Now, how do we do that at the moment? There's no space to run a kids program. They got the, they put them all in the in the parents' room, which is a tiny little room for babies, um, not a room for you know primary age kids to run around in. We've got afternoon church happening at the same time. We've got a, a disability Bible study happening at the same time. We've got music practice for night church happening downstairs. There's very few spaces around, but in order to facilitate that rapid growth, which now it doesn't sound like a lot, you know, maybe five to ten converts and 30, 40 mm. people, but it has been rapid and it's come on us all of a sudden. We actually need to reimagine our whole afternoon and evening space in order to facilitate it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you just attend night church or attend afternoon church, you're probably not aware that this kind of stuff's going on. But we, as the leadership, have to think: Well, how do we make sure? You know, in, in Acts six, was that the the Greek widows aren't overlooked at the expense mm. of the uh, Hebrew widows? How do we make sure that the Iranians aren't overlooked mm. in, in so that we keep giving kids ministry resources to morning mm. church? But now we've got all this growth at morning church and. We don't have enough volunteers at night church to staff it all. And how do we think about mm, this? We mm. we need to prayerfully consider reorganizing uh, because God is giving us growth. And mm. it doesn't have to be tens of thousands of people like it was in Acts 6 uh, to have the same problem, which is, hey, we're growing and we need to do something differently. Um, does does mm. that kind of help a little bit? So that's a little bit of what was behind my comments and saying we need to be open to embracing um, mm. reorganization because we do. Yeah. You said you were going to come back and make a comment on transfers. I did. Thank you, Raj. Um, I, yeah, I, I've, I've heard this around people saying, oh, well, they're just people coming from other churches. Um, uh, but one of the things, if you talk with some of those people, they've come from churches that are, you know, some, some of those churches have closed. Some of those churches have got to the point of unviability by which 
you know, um, they're not able to offer children's ministry or they're not able to offer. And here is a family with two kids that they came to see, meet, Je- know Jesus and grow mm. up in him. But the church that they have been part of is no longer able to run a kids program. And they're sort of, they're going, well, do I stay or do I go to a place where my kids can be, you know, discipled and grown? And so there's actually good reasons why sometimes people come in. Thirdly, there's, there's people who have been at churches where they visit St. Paul's and they realize, oh, the bo- like I was chatting with someone from Afternoon Church recently, and they said, I was at a church that didn't really, I didn't know it, but that didn't really teach the Bible. Um, and I, I got invited to visit Afternoon Church, and the Bible teaching just blew me away. And I realized that I was at church, but I, I wasn't really hearing God's Word taught, mm. and I wanted to come to a place where God's Word was being taught. Now, should we say, well, no, don't come. Uh, stay over there in that non-Bible teaching church. Uh, we want to say, no, no, it's great. Now, in a perfect world, all the churches would be teaching the Bible really mm. well. All the churches would be beautifully resourced and have kids' ministries running. But this is a world of limited resources. And so we want to embrace people who, who want to join us to hear God's Word taught, to, to be part of our ministry here. But we don't just want to say, come and sit. We want to come and join us as we seek to reach out with to other people. So mm. um, I think we, we uh, yeah, we, we want to see the good in transfer growth as well. Um, Sam, the sorts of conversations you've talked about are a regular conversation for me as well with people coming. Yeah. And the other thing I, to, just to deepen that even further, uh, in fact, in so many ways this is a story, this is part of the story of St Paul's, people coming because of the children's and particularly the youth program mm. for the benefit of the discipleship of their kids. Yeah. Uh, I said before, 80% of children... So 80% of Christians have become Mm. Christians by the time of 18. Um, And as many people will be aware, we we have a wonderful program in SALT uh, that's been going for many years. In fact, it it itself is an example of reorganisation that's needed. Um, And there are some changes, you know, happening next year in that regard. Um, uh, and, And because there's just, there's a limitation and there's a gospel vision, we want more people to be able to be part of this discipleship engine, if I can call it like that. Uh, and, and you know, yeah, there, there has been a long-term kind of plan we've solved. There's some changes around the edges happening next year to try to alleviate that. Um, but So it's just another example. And also, uh, it, it's a good reason that people choose to join us. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Thanks, guys, for clarifying there. Uh, next question, how should we approach change for the sake of change? person asking this, they say, at times it feels like change is happening for the sake of trying something new. Yeah, look, I, I, with any of these questions for this matter, I am very open, as I think we all are, to just engaging with the things going on for whoever it is. I, I think I would say, you know, we live in a world of change. Um, I'm not sure... Well, I am sure that we don't do changes for the sake of change. We do do changes for the sake of innovation and, you know, looking at the resources we have and some of the things, Sam, you've organised, you've just outlined and many, many others. Um, We do need to keep being on the front foot, as St Paul's has always been, Mm. you know, for decades. Mm. And, And you go back to the... I'm going back to the 1990s even here, way before my time I wasn't involved, but St Paul's was heavily involved in what was new back then, which was um, training up ministry apprentices and sending tra- and training for the world. Uh, we come to the you know 2000s and there was church planting, which was a, a thing we were trying. 
um, and and then more recently and even the wonderful you know support and people gave lots of money for the funding of the North Hall project um, and each one of those are an example where you can see gospel fruit mm. and you fast forward five years ten years I'm not quite sure what the next thing's going to be mm. but we need to keep having this gospel vision mm. and being open to it and just I think also just acknowledge that whenever there is change there is loss and mm. whenever there is loss there is grief mm. I personally I find that very hard I think lots of people find mm. that very hard mm. how do we help people through that mm. um, so someone actually recently said to me maybe every time we do something we just need to have an expectation that things are going to be like this for three to five years and work out ways to have an inbuilt expectation of you know constant change um, it's very difficult in this world the pace of change no matter how you look at it it's faster than ever before technological advances and you know ease of travel and internet and so on and so on yeah yeah i think that's really helpful because there, there can be a temptation to just like things that are novel um particularly amongst younger generations you know what's the new thing what's the next thing and we want to avoid change for the sake of change but for the sake of gospel impact for the sake of seeing people come to know jesus yeah that's that's what's driving us to consider yeah for things that are you know thought out um you know, where, and we do do our research. I said in, I think, my sermon on Acts 6 at night, and I just said at the end, and I might just repeat it here for everyone, um, I just said, thinking me about me and my role, and I know this is the same for you guys as well and others on our team, but, you know, the Bible is infallible. I'm not infallible. Um, and when an opportunity or a need, and sometimes these are opportunities, sometimes they're challenging things, we pray. We seek counsel. Mm. We try to learn from what other churches mm. have gone through. Mm. We pray. Mm. Um, we, we think deeply about it in mm. a way that a dedicated full-time staff team in particular can. Mm. We seek counsel. Sometimes we have done a survey recently, mm. um, um, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, we're not infallible. Mm. We, but we must move forward. Mm. Gents, I'm conscious we've been chatting for a while here. We've got a couple of questions to go. Uh, let's see if we can get this done in a few more minutes. Uh, that's for our sake and for our listeners' sake. <laughs> so they have a limit to how much they like our voices. Uh, the early church, here's another one that's come through and we'll, we'll state it as uh, it came through on the text message. The early church was forced to reorganise to simply survive with their extreme growth. We are reorganising out of choice, not in response to growth, but as a means to try to drive up growth. That is, we're using numbers to drive up giving and serving rather than what Luke is doing in Acts, which is reporting on the amazing things God has been doing amongst them. It seems misleading to compare the two situations as a way to appeal for more giving and more service. No particular question attached there, but how would you like to respond? Yeah, um, I'm not sure I agree with the premise that we're not doing things in response to growth. Um, it again, I won't rehash my comments about things like Iranian church um, and some of the issues that we do currently face around morning church. Um, it may be the case that uh, overall the, the big parish numbers are, are relatively flat, um, but there are pockets of our church that do require reorganization. Mm. And I think we, um, we do have a responsibility to, to consider that, to pray about it, to try and make the d- decisions that are best with our wisdom to reorganize so that we can um, facilitate um, more growth. Um, 
I think with the idea of a means to try to drive up growth, um, I think I just want to ponder that phrase for a little minute. Um, it, it sounds again, if you have the, if you take it from the perspective of you want to build a big church, um, sure, that that's not our that's not our goal in and of itself. But as we were talking earlier in the episode, um, we live in a metropolis. We live in a in a dense population. We live with thousands, millions of people in our midst who don't know Jesus, and we do have there is a gospel urgency. To, to reach those people and to, to do what we can in order to see them saved. Like the Apostle Paul, uh, we have the end of every person mature in Christ. Mm. Um, and so we do need to prayerfully think, okay, I don't think we want to be content with being a church of, of 1,500 adults. Not because we want to be this big, amazing church for our sake, but because Carlingford and North Rocks and the broader populations are enormous mm. and we have the gospel and the word of eternal life and it is um, and, and it is us that God has charged with making disciples. We have to go and do what we can. Mm. So um, I think when it, it's, it's similar to that other question before, what do we do if we don't see growth? Should we change tactics? I think this is one of those moments where we're prayerfully trying to think, should, should we change tactics? Should we reorganize in order to see more growth? And um, that, that's what we are right in the middle of exploring at this very moment. Mm. If I, I want to throw something in here that, uh, you know, lies in my heart as a former mission pastor and just someone that loves sharing the gospel with people, um, to, to reach the people in our suburb as well, we're thinking at the church level of organising things there. I think we need to not be content with just relational evangelism. Mm. I think sometimes people are wary of stranger evangelism. and mm. we're, we're surrounded by strangers. Mm. Someone's got to get to know them. That's right. Uh, and hopefully that becomes relational because they don't mm. stay strangers, but strangers become friends and friends become family as they come to know the Lord Jesus. So if you're listening along and hearing mm. us talk about the numbers in our suburb, hear this as an encouragement to mm. yeah, invite the people that you know already to the Christmas stuff, invite them to think about Jesus. Yep. But are there strangers that you haven't met yet that you can mm. start to invite along as well? People that might turn up on a Sunday that you haven't met that don't yet know Jesus or people moving into these apartment buildings. Anyway, there's a little rant from... Uh, yeah. Well, we could go along with that, Lachlan. We could. Maybe we should, you know, our kids' holiday club that we yeah. started. Um, absolutely, it's part of a discipleship engine for kids. I think mm. about um, uh, two out of my three kids who grew up at a former church just being part of such a thing and now they're both leading on that as adults mm. um, it's part of a discipleship engine it's mm. significant mm. but as well as that it, it is about seeing more people and giving more invitation opportunity mm. for people to be part of um, not so much our church or what might be our church but mm. the kingdom yeah that's what it's Amen. about yeah. Amen. Uh, sorry I would, I would just comment on this particular question as you read it out I just come back to your comment, Lachlan, about Acts, inspirational history. Mm. And I think there is a, you know, just an exegetical link there, which I think Sam and I, we preached on Acts 6. That's how we tried to, that was our conviction and continues to be our conviction. We look at what happened in the early church. How can we look at that history and be inspired mm. in our own context? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Nice. A little bit of change of tack for the last couple of questions here. Someone said, I like how this vision month has... Oh, losing my words. That's how long we've been talking now. Uh, I like how this vision month has not just focused on one M each week for a month. This had been dull. That's how it's come through on the text line. Uh, yet, without talking about M's, what's the point of them? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, here we see, um, you know, part of a challenge of organising these things and different people are in different places. So mm. thank you for this uh, particular comment. I have no idea where it's come from. Um, I think in talking about the M's, we've done that one or twice in terms of a preaching program. I mm. think last year's Vision Month was this. We've done it once in preaching. This year, we, we, have, we have had a bit of a shift. I don't know if you've noticed, if people have noticed, but we have been more deliberate about having our spots in church. Um, <clears throat> Just again, depending on resources, we've been talking a bit about that, and and so in our spots we have been trying to look at each different M through the year. So it, it has been a different approach, mm. and again that different approach um, is connected with an assessment about where we're up to, and what are the things that we feel we need to bring to the heart to our hearts, mm. um, depending on where our church is up to. So yeah. Thank you for the comment, and again, we appreciate your prayers. Mm, nice. Last one, and I think this is a really helpful place to end in the light of all that we've been talking about. How do we avoid arrogance when growing? In particular, this person's asked about growing in holiness. Are we to be proud of the growth that God has done in us? Uh, and then they end by asking, how do we avoid being an arrogant or obnoxious church? I love that they're seeing the other side of growth, which is the growth in holiness. Mm. Uh, we've, we've talked a lot in this episode about growth in numbers. Um, you think about Paul in, in Colossians 1, he has a goal for both uh, numbers and maturity, holiness. We want to see growth in, in both of those things. Um, and we're not to be proud of either, I don't think. We're, we're to be humbled that God gives it when, when he gives it. Um, uh, so I think that's good. Um, I think you can be... Um, thrilled though when God grows you in holiness it's good to celebrate it's good to be glad that you are more holy than you used to be um, and so I think not proud in the in the arrogant kind of sense I'm so much better but I am glad that God has grown me in holiness and mm. that God grows others in holiness mm. and we celebrate mm. it and um, so uh, how do we avoid being arrogant and obnoxious as a church on that front keep seeing God as the one who does things and giving the praise and glory to him rather than thinking that we've achieved it by our own means, I think. It makes me think of the, um, the Pharisee in Jesus' story, right, who mm. was proud. So of glad I'm not growth. like this other dude. Yeah, praying yeah. out loud publicly, thank you for how wonderful of a person you have made me to be. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's not what we're after. No. Jesus critiques that strongly. We, uh, that the more we grow, the more we realise that we've got more to grow. Yeah. And that keeps us humble in that growth, even while rejoicing in the wins that God has brought about. Yeah, and I think more broadly, like we've talked about much throughout this episode, we we're not seeking our own glory in anything here. We're after the fame of Jesus. As more and more people come to know Him, um, that continues to be our heart. And pray, pray for us. Pray for yourselves. Let's keep in prayer as a whole church that we would be magnifying Christ, captivated by Him, mm. magnifying Him. Uh, that's the work of His Spirit that we're after in all of us. Amen. Jets, thanks so much for your time. It's been a, a wonderful chat. Thank you. It has been a longer episode than usual. Longer episode than usual, because but we're tackling all of Vision Month. That's right. And uh, I, I just think it's wonderful that we have this space for people to ask their questions. I hope you who are listening um, continue to ask things and continue to feel that there is a space to ask the questions that are coming up for you. We, we love to hear. We love to answer. Uh, it's been a great year on the extras, and we'll... See you again next year.